Chapters 32 and 33 of A Short History of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. A Short History of the United States by Edward Channing. Chapter 32 The Mexican War. 329 The Republic of Texas. The Mexicans won their independence from Spain in 1821 and founded the Mexican Republic. Soon, immigrants from the United States settled in the northeastern part of the new republic. This region was called Texas. The Mexican government gave these settlers large tracts of land, and for a time everything went on happily. Then war broke out between the Mexicans and the Texans. Led by Samuel Houston, a settler from Tennessee, the Texans won the Battle of San Jacinto and captured General Santa Anna, the president of the Mexican Republic. The Texans then established the Republic of Texas in 1836 and asked to be admitted to the Union as one of the United States. 330. The Southerners and Texas the application of Texas for admission to the Union came as a pleasant surprise to many Southerners. As a part of the Mexican Republic, Texas had been free soil. But Texas was well suited to the needs of the cotton plant. If it were admitted to the Union, it would surely be a slave state, or perhaps several slave states. The question of admitting Texas first came before Jackson. He saw that the admission of Texas would be strongly opposed in the North, so he put the whole matter to one side and would have nothing to do with it. Tyler acted very differently. Under his direction, a treaty was made with Texas. This treaty provided for the admission of Texas to the Union, but the Senate refused to ratify the treaty. The matter, therefore, became the most important question in the presidential election of 1844. 3.31. President Tyler would have been glad of a second term, but neither of the great parties wanted him as a leader. The Democrats would have gladly nominated Van Buren had he not opposed the acquisition of Texas. Instead, they nominated James K. Polk of Tennessee, an outspoken favorer of the admission of Texas. The Whigs nominated Henry Clay, who had not decided. The Whigs nominated Henry Clay, who had no decided views on the Texas question. He said one thing one day, another thing another day. The result was that the opponents of slavery and of Texas formed a new party. They called it the Liberty Party and nominated a candidate for president. The Liberty men did not gain many votes, but they gained enough votes to make Clay's election impossible, and Polk was chosen president. 332. Acquisition of Texas, 1845. Tyler now pressed the admission of Texas upon Congress. The two houses passed a joint resolution. This resolution provided for the admission of Texas and for the formation from the territory included in Texas of four states, in addition to the states of Texas and with the consent of that state. Before Texas was actually admitted, Tyler had ceased to be president, but Polk carried out his policy, and on July 4, 1845, Texas became one of the United States. 333. Beginning of the Mexican War, 1846. The Mexicans had never acknowledged the independence of Texas. They now protested against its admission to the United States. Disputes also arose as to the southern boundary of Texas. 
As no agreement could be reached on this point, President Polk ordered General Zachary Taylor to march to the Rio Grande and occupy the disputed territory. Taylor did as he was ordered, and the Mexicans attacked him. Polk reported these facts to Congress, and Congress authorized the president to push on the fighting on the ground that, quote, war exists and exists by the act of Mexico herself. 334. Taylor's Campaigns. The Mexican War easily divides itself into three parts. One, Taylor's forward movement across the Rio Grande. Two, Scott's campaign, which ended in the capture of the city of Mexico. And three, the seizure of California. Taylor's object was to maintain the line of the Rio Grande and then to advance into Mexico and injure the Mexicans as much as possible. The battles of Palo Alto and Reseca de la Palma, May 8th, 9th, 1846, were fought before the actual declaration of war. These victories made Taylor master of the Rio Grande. In September, he crossed the Rio Grande. So far, all had gone well, but in the winter, many of Taylor's soldiers were withdrawn to take part in Scott's campaign. This seemed to be the Mexicans' time. They attacked Taylor with four times as many men as he had in his army. This battle was fought at Buena Vista, February 1847. Taylor beat back the Mexicans with terrible slaughter. This was the last battle of Taylor's campaign. 335. Scott's Invasion of Mexico. The plan of Scott's campaign was that he should land at Veracruz, march to the city of Mexico, 200 miles away, capture that city, and force the Mexicans to make peace. Everything fell out precisely as it was planned. With the help of the Navy, Scott captured Veracruz. He only had about one quarter as many men as the Mexicans, but he overthrew them at Cerro Gordo, where the road to the city of Mexico crosses the coast mountains. April 1847. With the greatest care and skill, he pressed on and at length came within sight of the city of Mexico. The capital of the Mexican Republic stood in the midst of marshes and could only be reached by narrow causeways which joined it to solid land. August 20, 1847, Scott beat the Mexicans in three pitched battles, and on September 14th, he entered the city with his army, now numbering only 6,000 men fit for active service. 336. Seizure of California. California was the name given to the Mexican possessions on the Pacific coast north of Mexico itself. There were now many American settlers there, especially at Monterey. Hearing of the outbreak of the Mexican War, they set up a republic of their own. Their flag had a figure of a grizzly bear painted on it, and hence their republic is often spoke of as the Bear Republic. Commodore Stockton, with a small fleet, was on the Pacific coast. He and John C. Fremont assisted the Bear Republicans until soldiers under Colonel Kearney reached them from the United States by way of Santa Fe. 337. Treaty of Peace, 1848. The direct cause of the Mexican War was Mexico's unwillingness to give up Texas without a struggle. But the Mexicans had treated many Americans very unjustly and owed them large sums of money. A treaty of peace was made in 1848. Mexico agreed to abandon her claims to Texas, California, New Mexico, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. 
the United States agreed to withdraw its armies from Mexico, to pay Mexico $15 million, and to pay the claims of American citizens on Mexico. These claims proved to amount to three and one-half million dollars. In the end, therefore, the United States paid eighteen and one-half million dollars for this enormous and exceedingly valuable addition to its territory. When the time came to run the boundary line, the American and Mexican commissioners could not agree. So the United States paid $10 million more and received an additional strip of land between the Rio Grande and the Colorado Rivers. This gave the United States its present southern boundary. This agreement was made in 1853 by James Gadsden for the United States, and the land bought is usually called the Gadsden Purchase. 338. The Oregon Question. It was not only in the Southwest that boundaries were disputed. In the Northwest, also, there was a long controversy, which was settled while Polk was president. Oregon was the name given to the whole region between Spanish and Mexican California and the Russian Alaska. The United States and Great Britain each claimed to have the best right to Oregon. As they could not agree as to their claims, they decided to occupy the region jointly. As time went on, American settlers and missionaries began to go over the mountains to Oregon. In 1847, 7,000 Americans were living in the Northwest. 339. The Oregon Treaty, 1846. The matter was now taken up in earnest. All Oregon or none, 5440 or flight became popular cries. The United States gave notice of the ending of the joint occupation. The British government suggested that Oregon should be divided between the two nations. In 1818, the boundary between the United States and British North America had been fixed as the 49th parallel from the Lake of the Woods to the Rocky Mountains. It was now proposed to continue this line to the Pacific. The British government, however, insisted that the western end of the line should follow the channel between Vancouver's Island and the mainland so as to make that island entirely British. The Mexican War was now coming on. It would hardly do to have two wars at one time, so the United States gave way and a treaty was signed in 1846. Instead of all Oregon, the United States received about one-half but it was a splendid region and included not merely the present state of Oregon, but all the territory west of the Rocky Mountains between the 42nd and the 49th parallels of latitude. End of chapter 32. Chapter 33. The Compromise of 1850. 340. The Wilmot Proviso, 1846. What should be done with Oregon and with the immense territory received from Mexico? Should it be free soil or should it be slave soil? To understand the history of the dispute which arose out of this question, we must go back a bit and study the Wilmot Proviso. Even before the Mexican War was fairly begun, this question came before Congress. Everyone admitted that Texas must be a slave state. Most people agreed that Oregon would be free soil, for it was far too north for Negroes to thrive. But what should be done with California and New Mexico? David Wilmot of Pennsylvania thought they should be free soil. He was a member of the House of Representatives. In 1846, 
he moved to add to a bill giving the president money to purchase land from mexico a proviso that none of the territory to be acquired at the national expense should be open to slavery this proviso was finally defeated but the matter was one on which people held very strong opinions and the question became the most important issue in the election of 1848. 341. Taylor elected president, 1848. Three candidates contested the election of 1848. First, there was Lewis Cass of Michigan, the Democratic candidate. He was in favor of squatter sovereignty, that is, allowing the people of each territory to have slavery or not as they chose, the Whig candidate was General Taylor, the victor of Buena Vista. The Whigs put forth no statement of principles. The third candidate was Martin Van Buren, already once president. Although a Democrat, he did not favor the extension of slavery. He was nominated by Democrats who did not believe in squatter sovereignty and by a new party which called itself the Free Soil Party. The abolitionists, or Liberty Party, also nominated a candidate, but he withdrew in favor of Van Buren. The Whigs had nominated Millard Fillmore of New York for vice president. He attracted to the Whig ticket a good many votes in New York. Van Buren also drew a good many votes from the Democrats. In this way, New York was carried for Taylor and Fillmore. This decided the election, and the Whig candidates were chosen. 342. California. Before the Treaty of Peace with Mexico was ratified, even before it was signed, gold was discovered in California. Reports of the discovery soon reached the towns on the western seacoast. At once, men left whatever they were doing and hastened to the hills to dig for gold. Months later, rumors of this discovery began to reach the eastern part of the United States. At first, people paid little attention to them, but when President Polk said that gold had been found, people began to think it must be true. Soon, hundreds of gold seekers started for California. Then thousands became eager to go. These first comers were called the 49ers because most of them came in the year 1849. By the end of that year, there were 80,000 immigrants in California. 343. California Seeks Admission to the Union there were 80,000 white people in California, and they had almost no government of any kind. So in November 1849, they held a convention, drew up a constitution, and demanded admission to the Union as a state. The peculiar thing about this constitution was that it forbade slavery in California. Many of the 49ers were Southerners, but even they did not want slavery. The reason was that they wished to dig in the earth and win gold. They would not allow slaveholders to work their mining claims with slave labor, for free white laborers had never been able to work alongside of Negro slaves, so they did not want slavery in California. 344. A Divided Country This action of the people of California at once brought the question of slavery before the people. Many Southerners were eager to found a slave confederacy apart from the Union, Many abolitionists were eager to found a free republic in the North. Many Northerners, who loved the Union, thought that slavery should be confined to the states where it existed. 
They thought that slavery should not be permitted in the territories, which belonged to the people of the United States as a whole. They argued that if the territories could be kept free, the people of those territories, when they came to form state constitutions, would forbid slavery as the people of California had just done. They were probably right, and for this very reason the Southerners wished to have slavery in the territories. So strong was the feeling over these points that it seemed as if the Union would split into pieces. 345. President Taylor's Policy General Taylor was now president. He was alarmed by the growing excitement. He determined to settle the matter at once before people could get any more excited. So he sent agents to California and to New Mexico to urge the people to demand admission to the Union at once. When Congress met in 1850, he stated that California demanded admission as a free state. The Southerners were angry, for they had thought that California would surely be a slave state. 346. Clay's Compromise Plan Henry Clay now stepped forward to bring about a union of hearts. His plan was to end all disputes between Northerners and Southerners by having the people of each section give way to the people of the other section. For example, the Southerners were to permit the admission of California as a free state and to consent to the abolition of the slave trade in the District of Columbia. In return, the Northerners were to give way to the Southerners on all other points. They were to allow slavery in the District of Columbia. They were to consent to the organization of New Mexico and Utah as territories without any provision for or against slavery. Texas claimed that a part of the proposed territory of New Mexico belonged to her, so Clay suggested that the United States should pay Texas for this land. Finally, Clay proposed that the Congress should pass a severe Fugitive Slave Act. It is easily seen that Clay's plan as a whole was distinctly favorable to the South. Few persons favored the passage of the whole scheme, but when votes were taken on each part separately, they all passed. In the midst of the excitement over this compromise, President Taylor died, and Millard Fillmore, the vice president, became president. 347. The Fugitive Slave Act. The Constitution provides that persons held to service in one state escaping into another state shall be delivered up upon claim of the person to whom such service may be due. Congress in 1793 had passed an act to carry out this provision of the Constitution, but this law had seldom been enforced because its enforcement had been left to the states and public opinion in the North was opposed to the return of fugitive slaves. The law of 1850 gave the enforcement of the act to the United States officials. The agents of slave owners claimed many persons as fugitives, but few were returned to the South. The important result of these attempts to enforce the law was to strengthen Northern and public opinion against slavery. It led to redoubled efforts to help runaway slaves through the Northern states to Canada. A regular system was established. This was called the Underground Railway. In short, instead of bringing about a union of hearts, the Compromise of 1850 increased the ill feeling between the people of the two sections of the country. 348. Uncle Tom's Cabin It was at this time that Mrs. Harriet Beecher Stowe wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. In this story, she set forth the pleasant side of slavery, the light-heartedness and kind-heartedness of the Negroes. 
in it she also set forth the unpleasant side of slavery the whipping of human beings the sailing of human beings the hunting of human beings of course there was never such a slave as uncle tom the story is simply a wonderful picture of slavery as it appeared to a brilliant woman of the north hundreds of thousands of copies of this book were sold in the south as well as in the north plays founded on the book were acted on the stage southern people when reading uncle tom thought little of the unpleasant things in it and they liked the pleasant things in it northern people laughed at the pretty pictures of plantation life they were moved to tears by the tales of cruelty uncle tom's cabin and the fugitive slave law convinced the people of the north that bounds must be set to the extension of slavery End of chapter thirty three